determined to finish, though the race was over and his Olympic dream shattered by the pop of a muscle. The sight was too much for his father, Jim Redmond, sitting near the top of the stands. He rushed down flights of stairs, blew past the security people out onto the track. I wasn't interested in what they were saying, Jim Redmond said. I don't speak any Spanish and you don't need a credential in emergencies. Jim Redmond, 49 years of age, caught up with his son at the top of the final curve, putting one arm around Derek's waist, another around his left wrist. At first, I didn't realize it was Dad, Derek said. Then he shouted my name. I recognized his voice. It must have been hard for him. They moved in tandem for a few meters until Derek Redmond stopped and threw his arms around his dad's shoulders and sobbed. Then they started again on their three-legged wobble. A few steps from the finish line, Jim Redmond let his son go so he could cross the line alone, and then he embraced him again. This is his last Olympics, Jim Redmond said. He worked eight years for this, and I wasn't going to let him not finish. Well, when I read that story, of course, being a dad of four children, I found myself saying, wow, what a dad. But as I've reflected upon the story, I found myself saying, that's a real encourager, isn't it? That's a real encourager. I'm not going to let him not finish. That's what encouragement is all about. We're going to look at a passage of scripture this morning that gives us a mandate to do that. And I'm doing it because at my ripe old age, I'm coming to the conclusion that the most wanted person and the most needed person in every marriage and in every family and in every church and in every university and in every seminary and every Christian ministry, the most not needed and the most wanted person is an encourager. The mandate for that wonderful, wonderful ministry is found in verse 25 of our text. Right in the middle of the verse it says, after speaking to some folks who had already been defecting from the faith and some who were stumbling and discouraged and disillusioned and who were just wobbling on the way, after speaking to them, he says to them, as, as he's speaking to them, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Now that's the mandate. That's the directive. God's perspective on a Christian marriage is that it be a community of encouragement. His perspective on a Christian family is that it's a community of encouragement. That's his perspective of a Christian church. It be a community of people who encourage one another. And that's his perspective on a student body like ours. That we be a community of people who encourage one another. Our theme for this month is reconciliation. Well, you've already talked about being reconciled to God. Now this morning we're going to talk about one of the implications of that, that we're brought together into a community. We're part of one another. And one of the distinctive earmarks of a Christian community 
small or large, is that they take seriously this mandate of encouraging one another. In the original text, the picture, the word that's used here is sort of a picture verb. It pictures somebody who's coming alongside. When I look at the verse, I see Jim Redmond sitting there in the bleachers, watching Derek down on the track, crawling, sobbing, blowing it. Now, you've got to remember, Jim's got some, alternative, some options here. He could have uh, been a little embarrassed and slunk down in his chair and say, I hope nobody knows that's my boy. Or he could have been really disgusted and just got up and walked out of the stadium. Or he could have done what money, real tough, rough dads do. He could have come down beside the track and started yelling at his boy. Come on, Derek, you can't hurt that bad. I spent lots of money on this. Come on, Derek, suck it up. Or he could come out on the track, put his arm around him, Take his hand and say, son, I'm going to help you to the finish line. I'm not going to let you not finish. It's a graphic picture. I'll never forget this picture. It's a visual that sticks with me on my role as a dad and as my role as a husband and as my role as a pastor, my role as a Bible class teacher, as a friend. It just sticks with me. That's the challenge of the text. I see when I look at the verb, the Holy Spirit. And he's the one who comes down and comes alongside. That's the word. He's the one who comes down and comes alongside to help us, to strengthen us. One of the forms of this verb is a noun, and it's one of the names of the Holy Spirit. He's the helper. He's the strengthener. Some people in the audience this morning have a special God-given capacity for doing that. You call it a spiritual gift. And the very verb that we're talking about is in a noun form in the passages that describe the spiritual gifts, and oftentimes it's translated the gift of exhortation. But it's this word. Some of us are especially equipped by God to be encouragers, to come alongside people, and to not let them not finish. To stand with them and do what's necessary to help them to finish, in, to finish well and for strong. For some of us, it's a spiritual gift. But for all of us, it's an opportunity to make a difference. Because that's what this text is saying. He's saying to let us encourage one another. Now, why is that so important? Why is it so needed? Why, why is it so powerful? Well, because of the relationship between verse 25 and verse 24. Did you catch that relationship? Verse 25 is the cause. Verse 24 is the effect. Verse 24 begins by saying, Let us consider how to stimulate one another. Or the text that was read to us, how to spur one another on to love and to good deeds. Now let's work with with that. Let us consider, that simply in our vernacular today would be something like this, let's plan. Let's strategically plan. That is, let's think about how we're going to motivate people to develop godly character and get involved in active service. Because that's what the verse is saying. 
Consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good works. What's your plan for strategically planning and activating and and influencing and affecting? What's your plan to motivate people to develop godly character, to spur people to active service? What's your strategy? See, that's the point. What's your strategy? You, t- you teach a class of young fellows at school, at church. You, you work with the, the kids. Maybe you're in a small Bible class. Now, you're involved in some kind of ministries. What's your strategy for motivating people? That's one of the greatest challenges in Christian ministry today. Pastors all over the country are tearing their hair out. How do you motivate people? What's your strategy for doing that? Well, remember Jim... Here he is up there, and he's got some options. But the one that he decided got his boy to the finish line. He came alongside him. That's the verb. He came alongside him and did what was necessary to to get him to the finish line. If verse 25 gives us an instruction that's very clear, verse 24 shows us the influence that's very compelling. So I really want you to think of verse 24. That's the verse that's key. Let us strategically plan how to motivate one another, our classmates, our students, folks we work with, our parents, our husband, or wife. Let us strategically plan how to motivate one another toward developing Christian character and getting involved in active Christian service. How do you do that? Well, says the author, This is how you do it. You come alongside people and encourage them. Be an encourager. How would you do that? Well, let me very simply and rather quickly just give you some of the techniques for encouragement that are clear in the pages of your New Testament. For example, a spoken word is probably the one that first comes into your mind. A spoken word. Uh, Someone once said, I can live a whole week on one good compliment. Dr. DeHaan says, when it comes to giving praise, some people stop at nothing. (laughs) Well, which one's you? Where do you fit in the picture? The proverb says, anxiety weighs a heart down. But a good word, a good word, that makes the heart glad. So you an encourager, the words that you speak. Are they words that are designed to encourage people, to strengthen them, to motivate them? That's probably the most obvious, and it's certainly the cheapest, and it could be one of the most effective. If there's anything more powerful than a spoken word, though, mark it well. It's a written word. The advantage of a written word is that it conveys the idea, I've been thinking about you. Here I am, it's Tuesday morning, and I think about that Sunday school class that you taught last week, or I think what you did with those young people, and I just want to tell you what I thought. It was just terrific. It says you're thinking about them a day or two later. That's a lot different than bumping them into, the, into them at the hall and, and saying something in the, in the hallway or the park, or parking lot at the church. It says that they were thinking about this and reflecting upon it. And here on Tuesday, he writes this, this little note. The neat thing about a written note is you can put it by your bedside table and you can read it night after night. You can hold on to it. Written notes are absolutely terrific. I think Paul believed in them. 
Because almost every letter begins with a letter note of encouragement. See, what's your strategy? When a certain president became president of Wheaton College, the sports program there was in the pits. And so uh, they got a new sports director. And the new sports director saw that the whole program was in, in a mess. So now here's the strategy. He decided that every day he would write three notes of encouragements to three athletes in his sports program. The president says, that decision changed the sports program of Wheaton College. See, if you want to make a difference in people's lives, try the strategy of encouraging them. When was the last time you wrote a note to a missionary? When was the last time you wrote a note to your pastor? Try that note. It'll be a tremendous impact, a tremendous influence on that young lady that you're working with and you're encouraging. You don't want her not to finish. You want her to finish well. Try written notes. John Stott says that he, he owes his life of ministry to the man who led him to Christ when he was 19 years of age. And after he led him to Christ, this man wrote to him every week for six years. And he said, he prayed for me every day. And then his note says, and I think he's still praying for me. His last line in that little statement is, I cannot even imagine what a debt I owe to such a faithful pastor. You want to make a difference in people's lives? Try writing notes of encouragement. A third technique? Well, it's Job's three friends. You hardly think of them as being encouragers, do you? They were doing just great until they opened their mouth. For seven days, they listened to Job. You want to encourage people? Cultivate the skill of listening. It says something to people when you'll close your mouth and just listen to them. That's one of the techniques of being a successful parent of teenagers. It's learning to listen. And there are lots of other techniques. Have you ever wondered, for example, why Jesus touched the leper in Mark chapter 1? Now, you know he didn't have to touch that leper. He could have healed him a million miles away. Have you, have you ever wondered why he touched him? Well, of course you know why. It's because lepers were untouchable. It's been years since somebody has touched him. And Jesus touched him. That's a technique to encourage people who are grieving, who are hurting, who are struggling. It's just an appropriate touch, an appropriate hug, appropriate squeeze. It says something that words, that words will never say. How did Priscilla and Aquila encourage the Apostle Paul? <laughs> well, when he came, he got pretty discouraged. They took him into their home and showed a little hospitality to him. I hope that'll be one of the characteristics of your home. It's a tremendous way to encourage people. Showing them that hospitality. And then Onesiphorus, how do you think he encouraged the Apostle Paul? Well, Paul says as he writes that he was the one who came and served him when he was in prison. Acts of service. How did the Macedonians encourage the Apostle Paul? Well, he wrote a whole letter, the Philippians, to thank them for the gift that he had sent. You want to encourage people? Try an act of service. Try a gift. See, there are all kinds of things that you can do just to encourage people if that becomes part of your strategy. And that's my recommendation to you this morning. I've left the best, I've left the best one to the top. 
Here it is. When I was pastoring in London, we had lots of navigator students in our congregation. Barb was one of the special ones. One morning after the Sunday morning service, Barb came up and said, I just want you to know, Bill, that I've, I've been assigned to Europe, and I'm going to Europe for two years to work with the NAVs. And then she turned to me and she said, I want you to give me a prayer request so that I can pray for you those two years. Well, I knew she was serious. So I said, Barb, give me a week to think about it. Next Sunday, she came back after the service up to the front, and she was just waiting for the prayer request. And so I told her about an area in my life that I really wanted to see God do something in. I said, Barb, I'd, I'd appreciate you really pray about that. Off Barb went. Two years later, I stood up to speak on Sunday morning, and there was Barb. A smile, mile wide. After the service, up to the front. And guess what she asked? Well, of course you know. She asked about that area of my life. And I choked. I said, here's a young lady who's been praying for me two years about something that that I really wanted to see to happen in my life. And I gave her a little hug right in front of the whole church. Say, that's that's encouragement. And I want to recommend it to you. If you learn the importance of that, if you cultivate some of the skills of that, at this stage of your life, you're going to be miles ahead of most of us as Christians today. It's a tremendous way. Not very expensive. All you have to do is care. Care enough to not let them not finish and come alongside and be an encourager. God's perspective for our churches, for our Christian marriages, for our Christian families, for our institutions, is that we be communities of encouragement. Because that's really what makes a difference. Well, Lord, I pray that you will just give us a vision for that, recognizing that um, all of us can do it. And we all have people that we can come alongside with a phone call, with a note, with a lunch, with a gift. We pray that you'll just, just, I'm just praying, Lord, that you will give all, all these young people such a glimpse, such a vision of the power and the influence of Christian, of Christian encouragement that they'll just salivate, uh, desire, anxiously look for every opportunity to come alongside and to encourage. We thank you for bringing us into a community. And now, Lord, I'm praying that you'll encourage us to strengthen one another in that community life, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.